Hello queens and welcome to the Break Free from Binge Eating podcast with your host Victoria Kleinsman. I have beaten anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder and I'm a domestic abuse survivor. I've alchemized my pain into my passion and my power and I now help high achieving women who can't stick to a diet anymore to feel normal around food and to love themselves. My intention is to empower you with weekly episodes on all things food freedom, body image and self-love so you can stop binge eating and stop hating your body and embody the healthiest version of you in every way possible. So grab a beverage of your choice. My go-to is a deluxe hot chocolate with cream and marshmallows or take me on a walk with you and let's get into the episode. All right, queens, welcome to another episode. I have a special guest with me today. And today I have with me Alexandra Carter, and she is a certified intuitive eating counselor. And Alexandra helps you to cultivate the best, best version of yourself with an anti-diet health at every size approach. So Alexandra, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you, Victoria. It's so good to be here. I'm so excited for this. And as you know, because you're an avid listener, I have 10 quick fire questions for you. So are you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) Okay. Number one. Okay. This is number one's always like two in one. Where do you live and what is your favorite thing about where you live? I live in the Northeastern United States in Connecticut. Um, And I love that I get all four seasons. I'm a big seasons person. So I want a little bit of everything. (laughs) We are very similar. Like I love having different seasons because if you live somewhere where it was always warm and hot, mm, I think I'd get a little bit bored of the sun if I'm being honest. Yep, I agree. (laughs) Okay, number two, your favorite food. Uh, I was thinking about this before because I thought maybe it would be one of the questions. Um, Probably sushi. I'm a big sushi fan. Nice. Number three, the craziest diet you've ever done. Oh my (laughs) goodness. (laughs) I did this for a short amount of time because it was nearly impossible. I did a liquid cleanse situation and it had me doing crazy things with broccoli (laughs) oh no yeah it was it was pretty nasty can you eat broccoli now or is it like traumatized you (laughs) (laughs) um I can eat broccoli but I wouldn't put it in a blender ever again no yeah I feel you on that one (laughs) okay this might be hard to answer because I would find it hard to answer number four what top three books would you recommend for anyone in this space to listen to or to, to oh. read? Sorry, I always listen to my books. So automatically <laughs> to read or to listen to. Yeah, either way. So I always like, I, if, if it's someone that's new to this space, there's a book called Body Kindness by Rebecca Scritchfield. And I think it's a fantastic introduction to the intuitive eating anti-diet world. Um, And then I think 
The next book that I recommend, I mean, I would always say read the book Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. It's a fantastic resource. Um, And then the last one is a book called The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. And it's like my manifesto. I mean, it's just brilliant and it is really um, empowering in, in this journey as well. Yes, I've read two out of those books. I read number two and number three. And I want to ask you, have you read The Fuck It Diet by Caroline Duna? You know, I'm actually listening to it as an audiobook right now. It's so good, isn't it? Like So good. (laughs) Yeah, I love that one. And also, what else did I want to ask you? Oh, yes. More Than a Body by Lindsay and Lexi Kai. Have you read that one? Yes. Yes, that one is also fantastic. That was like number five on my list. (laughs) Yeah, so good. So listeners already like jot these down, go back, pause it. Mm -hmm. Seriously, these books, if you let them, will change your life. Yeah. Not understand that they will, they can. Okay, so number five, finish this sentence. When I experience a body image trigger, I... Oh, I think I sort of have broken it down into a few steps for myself. When I experience a body image trigger, the first thing I'll do is remove myself or remove the trigger, like take a step back, give myself space from it, um, because there's no way to sort of approach things with a level head or a grounded center when you're in the middle of it. Um, and then I think my next step is, is, is doing that grounding work, giving myself a break, calming my nervous system, whether it's, you know, taking a few deep breaths, going outside, breathing some fresh air, something like that. And then I think the, the most sort of important step or like the transition in that is figuring out what is actually true, because in those tough body image moments, our entire history is showing up. And it's giving us this stress reaction. So, you know, maybe it's that I put on a pair of pants that don't fit me anymore. And I'm, you know, feeling like that makes me ugly or unworthy or unlovable. But what's actually true? The truth is the pants don't fit. It doesn't mean all of those things and and grounding myself in what else is possible and what else is true in this situation. And then the last thing that I always like to do in those moments is do what I had planned on doing. So if you try on the pants and you're planning on going to brunch and now I'm in this moment and I'm upset, put on something comfortable and go to brunch still. Do the thing, live your life because life is about experiencing Mm. everything not what am I trying to say (laughs) life is about what you're saying thank you (laughs) enjoying the experiences not watching yourself from the sidelines oh yes cold shiver so much yes to that thank (laughs) you for sharing that in so much depth and I I don't know where this was from this like quote which I probably butcher because I tend to do things like that but I was reading a book and it was a man's voice so listening to a book and he said something like wisdom is the experience minus the emotion and that kind of stuck with me because I was like well we need emotions as humans obviously that's what we live for but if you can like take zoom out and like what you said like what's really true I feel fat I feel unworthy I feel shame but actually that's not my truth that's just old stories so the fact is my genes don't fit done 
it's right. the emotions like we take with us from childhood. So that resonated when you, when you shared that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that perspective on it, that wisdom or wisdom comes from taking out the feelings because it's so true and our feelings. There's something I read. I think it's actually from that book, Body Kindness that I mentioned that says, you know, our thoughts are stories that we tell ourselves to make sense of our emotions and our feelings, Mm -hmm. but stories aren't always true. They can be made up. And so getting to the root of what is the absolute fact here and what am I telling myself because of the experiences I've had? Yeah. Wow. So powerful already. We've not even got through the questions. This is going to be so exciting. Okay. Next one's dead easy. Dogs or cats? It's not easy. (laughs) Oh, is it not? Okay. (laughs) You can say both, I guess. Anything's possible, right? We don't have to have an or, we can have an and. (laughs) All right. Thank you. I identify (laughs) as an animal person. Um, I have cats right now because my husband and I were living in New York City and I just can't have a dog in a city. I feel like that's not fair to them. Um, So we have two cats right now, but in the near future, I plan on getting a dog. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I'm also an animal person. Like the only animal I dislike in the whole world is mosquitoes. Like why? (laughs) What they, in fact, totally off topic. do (laughs) Do you know what part a mosquito plays in life? I truly don't. I couldn't, other than annoying and <laughs> miserable. <laughs> like, I think most of mosquitoes' life plan is to bite me and I'm allergic <laughs> to, the, to the whatever they do, the sticky oh. whatever they do. And then I come out in like a weird, itchy rash. And oh. it's, yeah, I'm not a fan of mosquitoes, but anything else can exist. That's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, number seven weights or cardio? Oh gosh, I sound so indecisive. I think a little bit of both. I definitely let it sort of let my preferences lead me when it comes to movement. And so sometimes I go through like a weights only phase. And then sometimes I'll go through a phase where I'm not into weights and I'll switch to cardio. Um, So a little bit of both, but I think you know, I have a background in theater and so dance, which tends to lean towards cardio is, is something that always makes me so happy. So maybe cardio. Yay. I can't wait to get into your story around (laughs) the past as well, by the way. Okay. Number eight, what three things would you take to a desert Island? Uh, my husband, (laughs) um, a coffee pot. I really love coffee. (laughs) I hate coffee. I'm so Uh, sorry. I hate coffee. It's okay. You know, everybody has their own preference and it's all right. (laughs) We can be friends, even though I don't like coffee. That's okay. It's good. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, and then probably if I'm being more impractical, like my e-reader so that I could always have a book to read. Ah, nice three things. Good job. All right. Number nine, what is the most powerful mantra or affirmation you have used or you maybe still use? Yeah, I was kind of thinking about this because I loved this question when I've heard you ask it to people before. Um, And I think that two sort of popped up. And the first is something that really helped me on my own journey into this, you know, world of anti-diet and intuitive eating. 
Um, and I'm not sure it's the most like catchy mantra, but I said it to myself all the time. And it was that their journey is their own. And my journey is my own because so much of what I struggled with was comparison and, um, a lack of self-trust. And so I think like empowering myself with that self-trust and that sort of affirmation that it's okay if my journey is different from the people around me um, mm-hmm. was really, really powerful. And I think that uh, that that kind of was what guided me, especially in the beginning of my journey. And then the other one that that stuck out to me as I was thinking about this is self-control is not self-care. Mm. Yes, because yes, so yes. often we think we're caring for ourselves by controlling everything. But the truth is, self-control is just controlling yourself and is just putting rigid rules and it's not leaning into like we were talking about before the experience and the pleasure and the satisfaction in life yeah I love that so much it's like an illusion of illusion of safety Mm -hmm. it's like when we go on diets we feel awesome at well not now but I used to feel awesome at the beginning because you feel like you're getting something right and you're controlling the outcome of your body and your food, which ultimately we think we're going to get more love, right? At the root of it yeah. all. But it's just a false sense of security because ultimately I love that well, you said that self-care over self-control always. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, awesome. So I would love to dive into your story a little bit, Alexandra. And how did you end up being of service to the women that you serve today? Yeah. So, um, I guess starting from the beginning, you know, I spent years as a disordered eater. You know, I think a lot of us can relate to that. Um, I was at odds with my body. I really felt miserable, but I didn't even question it. It was just a part of my life story. Um, I think that that stems from being a perfectionist and a people pleaser and an overachiever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, it started, I think when I was really young as, as something to, uh, to do something like good, I'm using air quotes because <laughs> I know people won't be able to see me. Um, but you know, it was like a project that I could ace or a problem that I could fix. And so sort of my body became that project. And then as I got a little older and, you know, found my passion for theater, cause I'm an actor as well. Um, I really, it became a part of my identity in that way as well. Like if I had the perfect body or the perfect you know, appearance, then I would be a better actor. Or I had to look a certain way to be palatable for casting directors or, you know, shows that I wanted to be in parts that I wanted to play. And so that just became a part of what I thought was a healthy mindset. And I didn't even, I didn't even know there was a different way of being. Um, I just thought that I needed to constantly be working on fixing myself. Um, And I think that that just took so much brain space away from me and away from like all the things that make me, me, like I was just consumed with those toxic sort of thoughts and, and obsession uh, with policing and controlling myself, um, or bullying myself for not controlling myself. Mm. Um, and I, I think, you know, as I was thinking back about this, it also, became a really interesting dynamic because in 
acting and in theater, I think I got to feel really confident as other people. I got to feel Uh, in my body when I was playing another character. And that was some of what that gave me is, is I got to temporarily shut off my like mean mind and turn on this character that wasn't myself that got to feel good and confident regardless without, you know, because I haven't ever been in a play or a show or a, you know, film where the topic is changing my body. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the characters are generally like not focusing on working out and dieting. (laughs) Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it, it kind of gave me a little safe zone when I got to be on stage or Mm -hmm. in the show. Um, But it, it kind of hit everything kind of hit the fan for me when I came home from my honeymoon with my husband. Um, we had been all over Europe and, and had this amazing time and really kind of explored and tried new things. And it was just wonderful. And I came home and all I could think about was fixing my body, getting back to, cause I, you know, I felt like I had let myself go over the honeymoon. All of those feelings came rushing back. And I was like, wait a second, this is not good. Like I just spent three weeks with my best friend in a dream situation. And now I'm only consumed with thoughts that are like bullying and, and self deprecating. And it just felt terrible. And, and so I knew I needed something different and I knew there had to be something out there, but I really didn't know. I'd never heard of intuitive eating. I'd never sort of crossed paths with this anti-diet space, but I knew I couldn't force myself back on another diet and, and go through this cycle all over again. So I sort of toyed around with all of this for a while, um, but it wasn't until the pandemic hit actually that I really got like a chance to change my life. Um, And because when the pandemic hit theater completely shut down. So I had to stop my job. My job ended. Like I had to come home. We quarantined. Um, There was nothing going on. And I was like, okay, without this character that I've been playing, without these roles I've been doing, without my, you know, work goals, I'm left with just myself and my body. And I was scared. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm so uncomfortable. How can I live the rest of my life like this? Um, And so I took that leap of faith and I got amazingly lucky. I hired a coach um, who was a coach just by happenstance in the anti-diet space. I didn't even search that out on purpose. It just was, you know, like we were talking about her vibe felt really in tune with me and and she felt so trustworthy and inspiring. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go for this. And I remember sitting down with my husband and saying, things can't get any worse, but if they could just be a little bit better, it would be worth it. And like things got insanely better. It was like a total 180 investing in myself, like gave me the opportunity to grow like I've never grown before. And it was like that boost of self-trust that I Mm -hmm. hadn't had. Um, And once I was introduced to intuitive eating and the anti-diet space, it was like the missing puzzle piece that I'd never had. Like it just clicked. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I believe in. 
this is the stuff. And, and so I, I like dived in completely, like, no, no, what is the phrase? No. You just jumped in with both feet. Like, yes. Went for it. Yes, exactly. And so I, you know, really did the hard work. I challenged myself. I kind of, you know, overhauled my entire life. Um, and was so amazed at the opportunity that laid on the other side, the freedom, the peace, the balance, but even more so like the space to be myself and to truly live into the passions that I had on a whole nother level than was ever accessible to me before. Um, and then I was like, I have to share this with other people. I have like, everyone deserves to feel this way. Um, so I, you know, dived into getting certifications so that, you know, I felt like I had a solid ground underneath me, um, becoming an intuitive eating counselor, becoming a health and wellness coach and starting my own business. And yeah, now here I am. And I just love being able to connect with people and give them the opportunity to flourish in the way that I did through this anti-diet intuitive eating, you know, health world oh what a story I would <laughs> love I've got I've got so many questions and I'm trying to remember them as you was talking so <laughs> can we rewind to your like are you still doing theater by the way just out of interest yeah yeah I think I get to have like the best of both worlds now um which is that I feel like I'm standing at this path with all the doors open in front of me and you know both of my careers as a coach and as an actor can kind of go with me anywhere mm. um so yeah I get a little bit of both which is wonderful that's awesome and my question around like your acting back then when you were struggling with disordered eating mm -hmm. did you find that you did get judged on your body size or was that just what you decided would happen so you're protecting yourself in case or did it actually happen in in your world yeah, you know, I think that's a really tough question to answer. I think a little bit of both. You know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm I live with a lot of privilege. I live with a lot of body privilege. You know, I am a straight size person, um which for people that don't know that means I can find my size in the store. Yeah. Um so I I think a lot of the judgment was self-induced in that like I was putting these parameters on and holding myself back but in the world of theater and film and entertainment there are there's so much um bias and anti-fatness and mm. you know judgment and and body policing you know there's so many stories about you know weight loss being a part of a casting process and you know wow. so there is so much toxicity that some of it may have been self-induced, but I think that the, the atmosphere also fuels that, if mm. that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I think that, yeah, it, it's definitely a little bit of both, um, but, it, but definitely comes from a place of there is of lack, I mean, in the entertainment industry as a whole, there's a lack of body diversity and of mm -hmm. representation. And so I think like when you don't see what you look like represented yeah. in, in, you know, the media, then it's hard to imagine yourself in a real body being a part of it. 
Yeah, I can resonate with that in regards to seeing yourself in in others. Like one of the biggest things that helped me on my journey was looking at women my size or bigger on Instagram and being okay with that. And that was that was very confronting. But then I found peace in the fact that, oh, wait a minute, she's got a similar body type to me, but she's not hiding her cellulite and she's not staying small. She's living her life. I mean, yes, Instagram, you never know 100% because it can all be lies. But in general, like it helped me to see women living their best life or at least showing that they were living their best life in the body that I had or larger. That really helped me. Did, did you do something similar on your journey? Yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, I and, and with all my clients, which I'm sure you do as well, I always encourage like diversifying your feed, diversifying your social media, not just you know, different bodies, but different people from different experiences, different races, because we get such a small view of the world from, you know, our social media feeds that are curated by like the people we know, or, you know, the people we admire. And so being able to explore and see other people and see different experiences just really gives you a sense of belonging because, we're all unique and we all have different experiences and bodies and, you know, personalities. And so everyone, everyone belongs in a space where everyone is different. Yes. I love that. Nature celebrates diversity. Like you don't look at a, I'm looking at a plant now. It's actually funnily enough, a mosquito keeping away (laughs) plant. Literally, I have one in my office and next to my bed, like I'm a bit OCD with mosquitoes coming near me. But that plant doesn't look at the tree outside and and worry about it doesn't look the same and you're bigger than me or whatever. It just Mm. bees the plant. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. Yeah, I love that. That's so beautiful because you're right. It's diversity is natural and normal and beautiful and real and that's just not something we talk about or are taught. Yeah. And I, before I go into the other questions, I want to, I think I want to touch on the point where you decided to invest in yourself because my audience, your audience, we're all, we're sharing between each other now. And especially for myself and my personal journey, it was a big deal for me to invest in myself because I hadn't done it before. And also I tried everything and it didn't work. So do you, first of all, like, how did you get to the point where, I know you said you had a conversation with your husband because coaching isn't cheap and it shouldn't be because the investment alone encourages you to grow and, and say yes to change. But how did you navigate that in your own life? And then how do you help clients to navigate it when you know that you can help them, but the investment's kind of blocking them because they don't believe in themselves yet? Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. And it was scary. And, and I understand, you know, I still, I have a coach now I believe in it so much, you know, and, and it's still scary when I invest in a new coach or, or a new, you know, level of my coaching. And, and so I think like, first of all, just affirming that it's a big deal. Like you said, it is a huge deal for each of us Mm -hmm. for our own individual reasons. Um, And I think that, I mean, not to echo exactly what you said, but exactly what you said, you know, often it is a high price point, but you are getting, it's almost impossible to put into words 
if, if the coach is someone that you feel connected to, because Mm -hmm. I think that's really important too. And that's why, like, I think every coach that's out there, you know, (laughs) I want to rewind my own words. I didn't see any problem with what you were saying. So I'm I'm on the edge of my seat, ready for what you're going to say. I was going to say, I think every coach that's out there has a place. And I do, I was then going to say, except for the ones that are telling you to change yourself and your body. Totally, (laughs) totally agree. I also believe like at the beginning of my coaching career, I was very kind of angry at the anti-diet space, but Mm. honestly, I'm not happy about it. But most people genuinely think they're helping people like yeah. they just they're not aware so I just wanted to add that like but it's yes. took me a while to see the compassion actually not everyone in the diet space is trying to fuck with our minds and our bodies <laughs> right. they think they're helping but yeah sorry yes. no no that's fine um but yeah so I think that that you know everyone every coach offers something different not just in like program or you know, content that they're sharing, but in like personality, just as with a therapist, like sometimes it takes time and you have to interview and find the person that works with you. I think that's really important too. So once you find that person that you connect with, that inspires you, that excites you, that makes you feel seen and heard, yes, the investment is big and it's scary and it's a lot of money, but the other side of it is indescribable. You will get so much out of it because of the relationship that you cultivate, but also because you are investing in yourself and you are worth that investment. And doing that action, investing in yourself, actually like taking the step to do it is life-changing in itself because it shows you that you're worthy. It shows you that you care about yourself. It shows you that you appreciate yourself and are ready to take it to the next level for lack of a better phrase. Um, And so I think that there are lots of ways to do it. And so also like every, again, everyone's journey is their own. Everyone is in a different place. And so Mm -hmm. I think like when I'm looking, when I'm talking with people that are potential clients or the clients that I have now, when we were talking about the investment, you know, there are ways to do it. I, I think that, you know, personally I offer different payment plans. So sometimes that works for people. If it's something that they need some time to think about or start at a lower price point and move up to the higher. I mean, I think that I can only speak for my own experience and my own sort of way that I run things, but I believe in this so much. And I really am so passionate about helping people that obviously I'm not going to devalue myself to help Mm -hmm. someone else, but I will work with you. If it's something that is important to you, like we're going to make it happen for you, whether it's tomorrow or, you know, in a few weeks, you know, I've had people start like crowdsourcing to do this because it is important and it is valuable and it's worth making it work because again like the other side of it the life change you're going to experience is invaluable it's priceless yeah like I remember paying when I hired a coach I literally was blessed I had a credit card but just had to stick it on my credit card I didn't I literally didn't have the money Mm -hmm. and it was thousands of dollars 
because she was American and just investing alone, my energy shift was like, right, I'm so I'm 101% committed to this process. Tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. And the transformation I got, I would have paid 10 times. And I'm not (laughs) just saying that because I couldn't see it at the beginning. And it might be the same for you as well, because I can tell from the wording you're using, like me and you and I are very similar with like the passion we have for our clients and what we do. Mm-hmm. The liberation and the freedom and the life you get back from giving up diets and binge eating and body hate, like it's literally priceless. I would have paid 10 times that. And when clients start working with me and the investment's a bit sticky, but they do it anyway, like down the line, a few weeks down the line, they're like, oh my God, this is like worth it, way more worth it. Like, I just felt like I needed to bring this into the conversation because yeah. I think a lot of women listening to you, to you and I might be in a place where they really want to seek help and support, but the investment's like a big deal. So I just wanted mm-hmm. us to each share our, our experience. And if it helps any one of them reach out to you or I or anyone else they resonate with to get the help that they need, then our job here is done because we're changing the world one woman at a time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I think that it's just, it is scary and it is a big deal, but just like you said, doing it is, is worth every penny and more. Yes. Yes, exactly. Part of the process. Awesome. So let's get into it then, Alexandra. How, if someone is listening to this and they probably I've heard of intuitive eating before, but maybe they're not entirely sure like what exactly it is. How would you describe it to someone who's new to intuitive eating? Like what is intuitive eating basically? Yeah. So I always like to start with like the baseline definition that Evelyn and Elise, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch gave, who are the creators and founders of intuitive eating, the writers mm-hmm. of the book. Um, And they, you know, say it's a self-care research-backed eating framework. Mm. Um, And and I think that that's important because of the focus on self-care, because I think that that is such an integral part of intuitive eating. And then I like to sort of go on to explain that it's an inward out transformation. So you start working on the internal stuff. Um, getting to know yourself and re-establishing this connection with your body, your preferences, your internal signals, and then addressing how that relates to food, to you know, movement, to your body as a vessel, and mm-hmm. all of those things. Um, I think that the major difference between what we're used to understanding as health or healthy eating I'm using air quotes again (laughs) yes it's needed um, with the word health unfortunately (laughs) yes exactly yeah Um, what we're used to is regiments and control and you know bad and good or right and wrong and intuitive eating sort of flips that on its head and says there's no bad or good nothing is right or wrong the Mm -hmm. only thing you have to worry about is honoring yourself listening to your internal cues and moving forward from there. And, you know, I say that it's easy to say, and it's hard to learn and it's hard to do, but it's like you do the hard work first. And then the rest of your life is spent, like just enjoying the work that you did. 
Yeah. It's like diet. It's the opposite of diets, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. when you start a diet, it's pretty easy and it gets harder and harder. Recovery. And when I say recovery, I mean like recovery from diet trauma, from mm-hmm. binge eating, like stepping into food freedom, if you like. That's really difficult at the beginning as well as exciting because you're stepping yeah. into a whole new world but it gets a lot easier and easier and easier and then like you say you have your whole life that is that has nothing to do with diets and what your body looks like and I couldn't fathom I couldn't even imagine a world where that was real before I started my journey and now I can't imagine ever going back mm-hmm. to lying in bed thinking how many calories have I had like going through my head what I've eaten is that like and look at waking up and the first thing I do is look at how bloated my tummy like Mm. oh my god like I'm busy running my own business and helping women change their lives like I ain't got time for that shit anymore yes absolutely yeah and that's exactly what it's like I mean it's it's just a a world where you that is just not on the radar anymore and because you feel so comfortable and confident and settled Mm. in in self-trust and in your body and in your own intuitive voice that you don't have to worry about that I think about it like you know dieting and diet culture and society teach us that we have to outsource our health and wellness but the truth is like we have all that wisdom within us it's just about tapping into it and reconnecting with it Mm. how does how does one do that like how do we Mm. how does someone go from ignoring their body like ignoring their hunger because they're on a diet plan and then also you know binge eating I believe is a is a way of eating in reaction to any form of restriction Mm -hmm. or even so like eating past fullness your body's signaling to you Hey girl, like I'm, I'm full now you can stop. But then we ignore that as well when we're in the diet binge cycle. So how can we start to connect back to our bodies and understand what is right for us in, in the moment? Yeah, I think that there's, I have like two thoughts that I had as you were asking that. And the first I think is, you know, giving yourself some compassion because all of these things, whether it's dieting, whether it's binge eating, whether it's, you know, whatever you're doing, you're just doing because you've been coping, right? It's a coping mechanism and good for you because you've been coping. And that is a big win. That's a really, you know, important part of life. It might not be the best way to cope. It might not be the way you want to continue to cope, but it got you here. And so thank goodness you were able to cope in whatever way you had. Um, So I think giving yourself some compassion for the past practices that you have, or the practices maybe some of the listeners have now that they're hoping to change. Um, And then recognizing that you, there are ways, like, I think one of the coolest parts of this is when someone feels like they have no connection to their body, no connection to their signals. I'll say when you feel the urge to pee, do you use the bathroom? And, you know, generally the answer is yeah, usually, or when you feel thirsty, do you get yourself a glass of water? Generally the answer is yes again, or when you are tired, do you go to bed? Sometimes I push it, but yes, <laughs> I go to bed yeah. eventually. Um, and so I think like then, then that tells me that you do have a connection to your body signals. They are there. You just are listening to some and not hearing the others and that's okay. But like 
have confidence and feel empowered that they're there and you have them. Mm -hmm. It just takes time. And I think it's a process of like kind of pulling away the layers of like noise that have been going on for so long and, and really centering back and like becoming aware of judgment or curiosity over judgment, judgment aside, mm-hmm. lean into curiosity um, and then just patience and time. Um, the other thing, oh, I was gonna say something that I sort of forgot. Well, if it's important, it'll come back to me. <laughs> I had that the other day and it was so good. And I was like, oh no, it's literally disappeared from my brain, but it didn't come back. So at any point, just drop it in there if it comes back to you. Perfect. I love what you've what you've shared. And my quest, my next question, Alexandra, is would you recommend like a newbie intuitive eater do something different than an intuitive eater who is more advanced, but then still needs a bit of guidance on how like how to tune into their bodies because some people worry about health and I'm sure we're going to go into that. Like I used to think food freedom just meant eating chocolate forever. And that was it. <laughs> but if you listen to your body, your body doesn't actually want that. So is there a difference between someone at the start of their journey who may be wanting to eat more of the banned foods from dieting okay. compared to someone who is like a few years or six months or so into their journey? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a big difference in that. I think everyone is different. So Mm -hmm. I often find that I start at different places with everyone that I work with, whether they're new to this world or established or, you know, wherever they are, because I think that so much of it is individual and is based on where each of us are at in our lives. And so everyone's different and, and things are, you know, in different places. I think like, I often say that there's so many ways into this work and sometimes it's starting with, you know, the food freedom aspect or wanting to be healthier, or sometimes it's about movement for people and, and how they engage with their body in that way. Or sometimes it's about the body image healing and wanting to feel comfortable in your own skin. And so I think that depending on where, someone sees themselves is where I'll sort of recommend their way in to Mm -hmm. the intuitive eating world. Although as I'm saying that I do want to put like a little bit of a caveat because if someone is a true like newbie, don't know anything about it, really like ready to like open the doors and see what's inside. I do often start with um, the principle of intuitive eating that is reject the diet mentality, because I think it's really important to because now we don't really know what diet culture is it's this Mm. idea and it's obviously like a part of the vernacular really well known to us that are in the world of intuitive eating and anti-diet but I think like myself before I discovered any of this I would have no idea what someone meant when they said diet culture Mm. Um, yeah and so I think go ahead sorry (laughs) sorry no because it's just there was no other world it was just like you said, when you shared your story, you didn't know any different. It was just, mm-hmm. just, this is the world. So yeah, I totally get that. I'm glad you're bringing yeah. it up. Yeah. So I think that, that helping people sort of reacclimate to there is this diet culture part of our society that, you know, equates health and, you know, the ideal body or health and weight that is sort of a 
you know, a fallacy that we've created as human beings that are imperfect. Mm -hmm. But then there's also reality, which shows us all of these other possibilities, like intuitive eating, like health at every size, like, you know, being able to honor yourself and honor body diversity and still be authentically healthy. Mm. Um, and giving them that separation, I think is a really important sort of baseline so that they can move into this work with a world to live in. Because when you remove yourself from diet culture, it can feel really isolating and, mm. and, you know, tumultuous, I guess. That's a big word. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> that would impress me. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I got to get, I don't know. I, it just means like bumpy or like, um, oh, yeah. you know, like, uh, like I'm doing a terrible ups and, job. Ups and downs. And yes, like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like going through a storm. Yes, absolutely. And how would someone like check in with their body then? So you mentioned a lot about honoring your body and I, I'm fully on board with everything you're saying as well, but how does someone do that? So I, I love you brought in if you need to pee or if you're cold, you get a jacket or if you're tired, you go to sleep. That seems very natural for us to listen to our body's cues. Like, how do we know what hunger feels like? How do we know whether we eat a chocolate bar or a tin of soup? Like, how <laughs> do we navigate all of that within ourselves when we're new to it all? Yes, thank you. This is such a good question. And it definitely reminded me of what I forgot earlier. So Yay. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I think it takes a lot. I guess another going back to something we talked about earlier, like mantra that I like to use a lot that I think is really important is trial and learning instead of trial and error. Mm. And so I think a part of learning your own signals and, and hearing them, if it feels like the first time, or if it feels like something you've been disconnected to is you can't, you can't do the wrong thing. So just try, you know, maybe, you know, you use the example soup or chocolate, try the soup. If it wasn't satisfying, the best thing you can do is just, like I said before, be curious. Why wasn't that satisfying? What am I actually looking for? And then try the next, just as you can't go wrong if you're learning from your experiences. So I think like, you know, the, the way to reconnect to our body signals is awareness. How do we find that awareness is, is just trying and learning at, you know, in intuitive eating, they incur, they encourage us to become like anthropologists or scientists that are observing without judgment, mm. you know, taking notes, understanding what's going on, but not, you know, when a scientist doesn't experiment, they don't say, oh, I don't like how this turned out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they just observe, okay, so when I mix this with this, it turned into this. It's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. It just is information to help them in the future. And so I think like approaching it in that way that your hunger signals will be there. You just have to learn to hear them or to speak their language. And that's what I was going to say earlier, which is a great, uh, an analogy that I like to use with clients that often I think really lands is that like the hunger, the, the signals in your body that you're disconnected from are still there. You're just speaking different languages. 
Mm. And when you're speaking different languages, like the first instinct is for everybody to yell at each other or like talk really slowly and loudly, (laughs) (laughs) you know. I live in the Netherlands and I I don't speak the language fluently, so I totally get that. Yes, yes. And so it can feel really like this is never going to happen. It's very frustrating. It's, it's like, you know, butting heads, but then eventually you find, if you keep trying, you find like one or two words that like open the door to understanding or someone points at their shoulder and now, you know, they're talking about their shoulder. And so it's like that, you know, you start off speaking a different language and it can be really frustrating and feel really like, how will I ever know what my body is trying to tell me? But then if you keep trying and keep asking questions and being curious and gathering that information, eventually you're going to say, oh, I think that was, you know, my body telling me this. And then over time, you'll develop this language of your own that neither of you spoke before, but now you're both speaking together. Oh, I love that so much. (laughs) Such a great way to explain it. And I totally resonate as well in regards to like, what the hell does hunger even feel like? Because I used to think that hunger was only when your belly was literally like rumbling. Mm. But for me personally, that's when I'm too far gone. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to keep myself safe because of all the past eating disorders I've had, what really helped me at the beginning of my journey was eating regularly. Even if like, say I'm not really a breakfast person, but I still offer myself the chance to eat breakfast. And if I'm not hungry, I still will eat something small because most of the time I didn't realize I was hungry until I'm eating. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize I was this hungry. Like I need this food. So do you think that's a helpful thing to do for your, for yourself and your clients? Or do you think only wait until you like feel hunger, whatever that means to you? No, I think you're spot on. I think that oftentimes, you know, especially in the beginning, but even through like now I still do that as well. Like I think that eating for self-care is also an important way because the other thing that that's doing for you is for so long, you know, our bodies or people, you know, listeners that are struggling with this, our bodies didn't trust that they would get the nourishment, the food, the satisfaction that they needed. And Mm. so now when you offer yourself, I love how you put that offering yourself breakfast, even if it's not, you're not quote unquote hungry for it at the Mm. moment, you know, gives you the opportunity to eat if you need it, but also reinforces that your body can trust that it will be fed, that it will be nourished, that it will get what it needs and it won't be deprived. And so I think that that is super important. And I love that you brought that up because, you know, oftentimes intuitive eating is mistaken for like a hungerfulness diet. Mm. But the truth is, it's so much more than that. Yes, reconnect to your hunger signals, listen to them, you know, reconnect to those fullness signals and, and hear them when you can, but also eat when it is something that you want, not because of hunger, eat when it's a, you know, a fun party and it feels social, eat when you need a little bit of extra comfort or eat when, I don't know, when you know you're going on a big hike and you're not hungry, but you should definitely fuel your body a little bit. Yeah. There's so many reasons to eat besides hunger and fullness. Yes. Because what I say in my programs is like some people say, eat for fuel and that's it. But that's like saying only have sex when you want to make a baby. (laughs) 
Like seriously, like we are emotional creatures as humans. We all eat emotionally and that is okay. When we demoralize that and make that not okay, then we wonder why we're like face planting tubs of Ben and Jerry's and then feeling shame around it, you know? So I love, I love what you said. And I was going to say something that's also disappeared from my mind. Oh, that was it. It ties in with what you said to do with the key word, like self-care. And I love that you brought the analogy up about before you was going on a hike, for example, because if you imagine you're taking care of a baby or a puppy, if you're not like a baby person, you would make sure like the child or the dog like had, even if the child was like, yeah, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry. But you know, the child's not eaten since like more the breakfast and it's now like two or three in the afternoon, you're going to offer them a meal because you care about them. So if we can parent ourselves and take care of ourselves from that place of, I care about you, I love you, I'm going to offer you nourishment because it's going to be good for you, other than you have to eat a meal because it's meals. It's like depends on the energy you're going in with it, doesn't it? Always. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love that because, you know, offering yourself the same nurturing and care that you offer others is so important. And so let it be with food, let it be with anything but, but saying like, I, like you said, I love you and I care for you. I'm going to offer you these things, even if it doesn't feel like you're hungry, even if it doesn't feel like you need this is so important. Yeah. And I'm going to ask a big, big question now, because you must've get, you must've been asked this question multiple times. Cause I get asked it all the time. Can someone lose weight through intuitive eating? Mm, That is a big question. And it's a tricky one. Um, I think that, you know, I don't, I don't want to like evade answering it, but a a little bit, (laughs) because I think I understand. (laughs) Um, And I think the main, the main thing is that intuitive eating is not about weight. And so, like I said before, it is a self-care eating framework that heals your relationship with food and your body. And so what your body looks like, the size of your body, the appearance of your body, when you become an intuitive eater is irrelevant. It's not about the look of your body. It's about your authentic health, which is when you are nourished emotionally, mentally, physically, nutritionally, socially, all of the things coming together. Mm. And so, you know, some people, when they become intuitive eaters, some people lose weight, some people gain weight, some people stay the same. There is no normal, there's no average, it's everybody's journey is their own. Mm. And so it's, the important thing is that your body reaches a place where it feels safe, and secure and nourished and taken care of and happy. And so wherever your body lands, that's where it's meant to be. And that's Mm -hmm. the important part. And, you know, I guess also I want to add to that, that if weight loss is a goal that, you know, someone listening might have, or, you know, any of us have had, I have so much compassion for you. It is understandable that that's the goal. And, and I get it. But if you want to be an intuitive eater, I think the key is just put that on the back burner for now. Just set it aside and focus on establishing this connection and and having the goal be that authentic whole person health for now. And then, you know, retouch with that, touch back with that at some other point. But for now, set that aside. 
it's not that it's wrong. It's not that it's, you know, it's not bad to have that want because, oh my goodness, yes. look at the world we live in. Yeah, yeah I say, exactly. I say to some of my clients, depending on whether they need to hear it or not, is give me six months, commit to this process 100%. And if after six months, know that you can go and run back to dieting because you've mm. done that for X, Y, Z number of years anyway. You know that's always going to be there for you, in quotes, yeah. there for you. <laughs> um, and of, obviously, as you know, the as we were trying to describe what is actually on the other side of this process, ain't no one going back to dieting after six <laughs> months of this of this work because they understand how liberating free and also natural it is like mm. quote normal eaters like my sister ironically we've had the same upbringing like so super focused on body image and diet she kind of missed all of that and she's had a very normal relationship with food like mm. she eats a piece of birthday cake at a birthday if she's not hungry because she wants a piece of cake she will say no to ice cream because she's still full from dinner and that's like where I'm at now and mm. it's just such a nice relaxing place to be like I share with my clients as well I don't care what you eat or what you don't eat I care about how you feel about what you eat or what you don't eat mm. so yeah I I love this conversation. I want to ask before we continue, are you okay for time? Because I want to get through the rest of the questions, but I'm also mindful of time. Are you okay for another maximum 30 minutes, Alexandra? Yes, I am. Thank you for asking. Okay, no problem. I want to read a quote off your website and then I want you to, I would love you to speak to that because I think it's so powerful and so key. You said on your website, quote, you cannot fail with intuitive eating. I can help you welcome a lifestyle where failure is no longer part of the picture. You are so welcome here. So can you speak to that, like the failure part? You you touched on it briefly and I'd love you to dive into that a little bit more because it's, I see it time and time again. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I think often diets tell us that we are failures, right? Like it's our fault that we haven't lost the weight or stuck to the plan or done enough of the workouts. Um, like we've failed for not looking the right way or having the right body or living the right way or eating the right food or all of those things. But that is just not true. Diets have failed us. If dieting worked, and this is something that people say all the time in this space, but if dieting worked, there would be one diet and we would all be doing it, (laughs) but there aren't. And then we'd never have to keep going back to said diet again and again and again. Yes, exactly. But there are, and there are thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands, I couldn't even count. And so I think, you know, recognizing that you are not a failure. None of us are failures. It's this diet, it's dieting that's failed us. It's diet culture that has, you know, sold us short. And we are so much more than that. And I think that's one of the most valuable parts of intuitive eating is it recognizes our individuality, our uniqueness, our brilliance and strength and our resiliency to keep going in the face of all of this adversity, which is dieting. Um, And so I think that that's what I mean when I say that you can't fail because there is no failure, even in, you know, the framework, which are the principles of intuitive eating. They're not rules. They're just, you know, sort of guideposts. Mm. But even within that, 
the idea is you can't fail because you're always learning. And it goes back to that idea of trial and learning, not trial and error. Yes, there are times when intuitive eating is a struggle. Yes, there are obstacles that you face. There are bumps in the road. There are, you know, steps back as much as there are steps forward, but it's never a failure because you're always on the journey. It's Mm -hmm. always, you know, it's about the process, not the product. So I think that, that knowing that you can't fail because you're not a problem is, is such an important part. And then the last part of that, you are so welcome here is sort of my own addition to the idea because I think that our society, diet culture, and the beauty standards have left so many people out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and mm-hmm. I think I want to share that this space is inclusive. This is a space for everyone in any body of any walk of life, you know, anything like that, that the only standard of beauty that this space has is that you are honoring yourself and living your truth. And that is it. That's the bottom line. Um, everyone is celebrated and welcome in, in the space that I create. And I think also in sort of this anti-diet intuitive eating space. Yeah. Diversity is welcomed and actually encouraged hundred percent, which is the opposite to diet culture, because interestingly enough, I think the statistic was 5% of people in the world naturally have the body that 95% of us strive to, to get to and never do because our body's not supposed to look like that. Mm -hmm. So I love that you, you know, you celebrate in diversity and also the failure part is huge because at the beginning, and I'm sure your clients are the same as mine and obviously myself and your experience as well. We come into this work with a very diet related kind of brain. So it's, good or bad, like you've got it or you haven't. It's like a tick and cross exercise. Like we want like a line that past this line is okay. And then the other side of the line is not okay. But when we like welcome intuitive eating, we take away any lines or good or bad or tick boxes. And that can be like, oh my God, what the hell do I do? Because there's nothing to like get right. But that's the point. And that can actually cause a lot of anxiety But when we work through the anxiety and start to practice relaxation and like nothing can go wrong, there is no wrong. That's when you can really start to tune in and be like, okay, I can't get this wrong. So what do I actually want? The power of allowance and freedom is very liberating and also helpful because then you can choose health, quote health. And I like general nourishment is probably a better word to use Mm -hmm. without being in diet mentality, purely because you want to nourish your physical body. And then sometimes you will choose chocolate and ice cream because you want to nourish yourself emotionally. And that's 100% okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, that the idea, you know, I, I really appreciate that you brought up that the switch from thinking sort of that black or white, right Mm -hmm. or wrong can be really stressful. But once you, I think it's a process of learning to trust yourself again, because it, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like we were talking about before when you're so used to, you know, living by rules or ticking those boxes, you know, you, you stop trusting yourself and look outside of yourself for what is right or wrong. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when we say there's no failure, there's no right or wrong. It just means that you get to look within yourself, ask yourself, what is 
right for me right now? What is the best choice for me in this moment? And then that's what you get to honor. And that just leads to a whole new world of, of trusting yourself and honoring your preferences and, you know, all of that magic. Yeah. And it goes into all the areas of your life as well, doesn't it? It doesn't just stay with food and body. Like Mm -hmm. I'm sure you notice it in your business as well. And I do with myself, like self-trust and the confidence to just go with what feels right, regardless of whether it intellectually makes sense on a piece of paper, like whatever feels right for me, I follow and it served me very well so far. And I'm sure you have the same. Yes. Yeah. In all aspects of life. And, and, you know, even in like my acting and stuff, just, you know, referencing back to before, I mean, it's a different world now post, you know, now that we're sort of into the pandemic, past the pandemic ish, it's still going on. Yeah. Fingers crossed (laughs) for a normal world at some point. Yes, exactly. But, you know, all auditions have um, gone online. So it's all taking videos of yourself and sending them in. And I think, you know, I've noticed before whenever I have had to do a self tape like that, I would spend out, I mean, I could never get the right take, not about my acting or my voice or anything like that, but just like, oh, I don't like how I look. Oh, it has to be this angle. Now I just go in and I do it. (laughs) You know, if I did it, okay. If I sounded okay, like fine, just send it because it's not about that. There's so much more available to me and now that I'm grounded in, in trusting myself and, you know, appreciating myself for all that I am not judging for all that I'm not. Mm, Wow. So powerful. And I love that because I want to move on to like body image and self-love now. So how can someone start seeing their body as like a friend or a teammate? So whether you perceive that question as internally or externally or both, like, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So I think, you know, I I like to sort of place it in terms of a relationship because our longest term relationship is with ourselves and our body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, when we have a loving relationship outside of ourselves, it's very rare or, you know, real, not real. I don't know that we have like a love at first sight situation. And even if it is love at first sight, I think like that is an initial thing. And then it takes work in, you know, moving forward as, as it grows and develops into a a true long-term relationship. And so I think, you know, understanding that we don't go from feeling uncomfortable, disliking, maybe even, you know, having a very, um, against each other relationship with ourselves and our bodies to loving ourselves. You can't flip a switch that doesn't exist. And so instead looking at self-love as a practice or something that you can cultivate like any loving relationship, it starts with connection and Mm -hmm. respect and trust and loyalty and maybe some fun and all of those things and building on those until it turns into love, but not necessarily love in like a looking at my body saying, I love my body way, but love in the way that you choose to act with love towards Mm -hmm. yourself, towards your body, like a teammate, like you were saying before, when we're on a team, we do things 
to support each other, to work together, to work harmoniously. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to love everything about your teammates, but everything is in tandem is, is to create the most successful situation for the team. So working together instead of working against and knowing that you don't have to feel in love with yourself at all times. And if you did, I would be like, what are you taking? I need to of that. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Like you can love something or someone without liking them all the time. Like this is why I really loved the book more than a body. It took a lot. I had it sat in my Audible for months before I pressed play because I kind of knew I didn't want to face what was going to be said. Mm -hmm. And to fully come to the realization that we are more than our bodies and we are not here just to have our bodies look a certain way, to let that go and to mourn the loss of that actually was a big deal for me. When I read that or listened to that and then really implemented it because it's all right listening and reading you've got to implement this stuff and embody it that's what true freedom was when it's all well and good as as you've shared if you look in the mirror and you're like I look hot today which sometimes I do and Mm -hmm. sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like oh well get my body image talk it out then because this is not good today like that we have these days but knowing that it doesn't really matter Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if I think I look hot. It doesn't because we're more than that. And when mm-hmm. more and more women that are sharing this message will change the world because there's more to us than our bodies. And I think that is so key what you said. It's not just about looking, you're loving the way you look physically. That can happen and it does happen, but it's not about that, is it? It's deeper than that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that having a loving relationship with yourself is appreciating who you are, not what you look like and committing to treating yourself with respect and compassion through both, right? When you love and appreciate yourself and when you feel at odds with yourself or don't love the way you look, just knowing that you can treat yourself with care at, at every point and choosing that means is what self-love means yeah that was my next question is like what what is self-love because when I first heard the word self-love I thought it was like what most people maybe think it will be self-love bubble baths having your nails done blah 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 but it's actually not that I mean that's part of self-care I guess but that is not what self-love is so what is your definition of self-love and how do you help your clients to cultivate that for themselves Yeah. Um, I think my definition of self-love is choosing to act lovingly towards yourself, even when it feels hard and acting lovingly, like I said before, means acting with respect and compassion and care and all of those things. It's not about loving what you see 24 seven, but it's about knowing that who you are and what you bring to the world is what makes you valuable. Mm. Um, and, and I think that it is actively, it, it's an active process. It's not something that, like you were saying, it's, it's not a bath bomb or a manicure and a pedicure, you know, yeah. it, it, those are wonderful. And I think everyone should treat themselves to those things every now and then, or whenever they want, 
but I think that self-love is a practice, not, uh, you know, a, like a thing. Pers- yeah. Not a thing, not like something you can go out and buy or something that you can turn on and off. Mm-hmm. It's again, like something that you cultivate. Um, and so oftentimes with my clients, I kind of think of it like a ladder because I think for so many of us, especially those of us that are just starting on this journey, it can feel really inaccessible. Like, oh, I could never love myself or I don't, that's just not available to me. And so I like to think of it as, as this ladder of, instead of trying to just all of a sudden love yourself, start with, again, like going back to what I was talking about before, like a neutral observation of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, make, I often encourage people to make a list of things that their body does without even asking, breathing, blinking, you know, sleeping, all of these things that your body just does for you to keep you alive mm-hmm. every second of every day that are completely neutral, right? Like they're not good and they're not bad. They just happen. And then once you start to have sort of a neutral awareness of your body, I think that can turn into you know, a little more gratitude, but I don't mean gratitude, but like, okay, I'm so glad I'm breathing because then I'm alive, you know, I'm alive and that's a great thing. And, and, you know, so then from, you go from neutrality to sort of appreciation and gratitude. And then I think it can become respect like, oh, my body gets me through every day. My feet carry me. I was able to go on that hike or, you know, jump in the pool or, you know, all of these things. And then it can kind of lead into a new level of gratitude, which is like, wow, like my, I can do this. Like my body allows me to do a lot of things. And then I think it turns into eventually more of that love that we were talking about, which is not necessarily in love, but loving the way your body allows you to experience life and to be Mm -hmm. a part of the world. And I think that that's a really good way in. And, and I think, so, so I think, I guess, tempering expectations is something that I do with clients is, is sharing with them that it's not about falling in love with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's about cultivating a loving relationship with yourself, which I think is a very different thing. And then I think the other side of this is that they need, you also need to commit to being respectful because so much of our inner monologue around our bodies is, you know, can be really mean. Mm. And so, you know, I, I say, as you're going through this, as you're observing yourself, as you're gathering this information, think about yourself, like you would think about your best friend or your pet or a loved one and, and how you would speak to them about their body. And then, you know, it might feel corny, but turn that language on yourself and, you know, kind of maybe a little bit of that, like fake it till you make it, you know, aspect or uh, feeling. I'm a fan of that, to be honest. Some people aren't, but in my opinion, you, you act as if you already love yourself. And I love the like bank account analogy. So you imagine you've got a bank account and instead of currency or pounds or dollars or whatever, it's self-love. So you're Mm. either depositing or withdrawing. So if you notice a self-judgment about yourself or your body or what you're eating or what you should be eating or whatever the diet fuckery, I like to call it, mm-hmm. comes in, you can make a choice. And I love that you've said the word choice a lot. And that is so key, I think. Like, am I going to deposit into my self-love account 
or am I going to withdraw? And of course, depositing would be acknowledging yourself. It's okay to feel this way. It doesn't really matter. Like whatever feels good to you in the moment, just giving yourself kindness and compassion. Or are you going to deposit, um, sorry, withdraw and then be like, yeah, I shouldn't be in this. I don't look that good. Maybe this isn't working. Like you get to choose. And I found that's a really helpful vision to imagine in each moment. And the more you put deposits in, obviously the more your self-love is going to grow and self-love self-love the word love is a verb which is a doing word like as you're describing it's it's not just something you have and there you go you've got it you have to keep doing it and choosing choices to show that this is your choice which is self-love so I yeah I love all of what you've just shared yeah, yeah, I, I really appreciate that bank analogy. It made me think about very early on in my journey, we moved to a new house and it had all of these full length mirrors all over and living in our tiny apartment in New York City, it was like one little mirror in the bathroom. And yeah. I at first had like a lot of trouble with having all of these mirrors around because it brought up old sort of body checking habits and all of those things. Um and then I sort of hit this point and, and it felt like that kind of fake it till you make it mentality or like you were saying, the withdrawal and deposit, because I decided I didn't need to use the mirrors other than if I caught myself looking, I would stop, take a deep breath and just say thank you to myself and move on. And it ended up feeling, you know, at first I was like silly. I was like, thank you, <laughs> you know, like thanking myself in the mirror. But then it became this like really nice moment that I got to give myself where I interrupted any thoughts that I was having to just say like, okay, I'm here and that's a good thing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then like moving on from that and not letting it get me stuck in this downward spiral or consumed by it. I wasn't ignoring it. I wasn't pushing it aside, but I wasn't letting it control me either. Mm, I love that because your thoughts aren't facts mm -hmm. and you can exactly. choose to say thank you and move on or like be consumed with those thoughts and yeah that's so key and the the last question which is a big one but I think it's really important for us to cover what does it really mean to be healthy at every size like because a lot of people when I share this message of health at every size I get a lot of re like um, arguments against it which is great because then I get to explain my view of it how can someone be classed as quotes overweight and how can they be healthy how can it be quote healthy to eat whatever you want when you want so like what does that mean to you and how again do you help your clients navigate that on this journey with you yeah so you know I think one of the greatest lies that our society has sort of manipulated to be considered a fact is that weight equals health mm -hmm. authentic health you know like I was saying before is the confluence of mental emotional physical economic social nutritional factor all of these things equal health and so much more you know that's just scratching the surface of it but the size of our bodies does not that has almost nothing. It's like that idea of causation and correlation, you know, correlation does not equal causation. No. And so, yeah. So I think like, that's the bottom line of it. The idea that skinny or small equals healthy, which then equals that a person is quote unquote better mm -hmm. is just so wrong. Yeah. 
being healthy at every size means focusing on life-promoting behaviors and practices that are independent from the appearance and size of our bodies, but that honor us individually and in our preferences. Mm-hmm. And so I think like just knowing that health is a big picture, whole person thing that cannot be determined by size, by appearance, nothing like that. And that is like a complete and total lie that we've been fed and switching it to, you know, health, meaning how can I honor myself and live my best life independent from what my body looks like? Oh, you explain that so beautifully. You <laughs> Thank really you. I, I do have notes for yeah, that well, one. <laughs> you wrote those notes and they like, you explain that so beautifully. And I think it's so key what you've said about, first of all, health doesn't just mean food. Mm. Health is like, oh my gosh, you've got like a, the umbrella of health. And then you've got under that, you've got emotional health, physical health, spiritual health, if that resonates with, with you. Mm. And so then you've got under the physical health, like blood sugar, maybe body movement, mm-hmm. meditation that could go into re- like, there's so many things that mean health. And also health's not a moral issue either. So if someone doesn't really care about feeling fit and being able to go for a run, that's also okay because it's your body, your life and your choice. And everyone is welcome. And I love that that's on your website. Like there's no right or wrong person just because they don't care about their health. And I just love it so much. BMI in my, if I was to put my BMI thing calculator, I'm like almost obese, classed as almost obese, Mm. which is just ridiculous because I mean, there's nothing wrong with obese either, but it's so damaging to have that biomarker as health. One of my clients rephrased this so beautifully. She said, BMI stands for bullshit, misunderstood (laughs) information. It's so true. That is brilliant. And I mean, I think the, that understanding also it's important, you know, that we don't get told ever, you know, BMI, first of all, I think was created, don't quote me on this, but I think it was created for insurance purposes or, 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 you know, backed by a mathematician, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with medicine or health or any of those things, but it has been co-opted to be Mm. used in that way. And then like the, according to like, you know, true health and authentic health, people who are, you know, classed as overweight or obese that are physically active, engaging in life promoting behaviors are actually the healthiest people in the BMI. You know, if we're looking at the BMI, which I agree is complete trash, Yeah. you know, but it just, it's just so misleading and it's such an unfair sort of biased way of measuring ourselves that honestly, just throw it away. <laughs> yeah, just just like forget it even existed and just focus on how you feel and what health yeah. means to you and then work towards those things mm-hmm. from a weight neutral perspective. Yeah. 100%. Oh, Alexandra, I would like to ask you one more question before you share how we can work with you or how we can connect with you. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like the listeners to take away specifically mm-hmm. from our conversation today? Oh, so many things, but I think if I had to sort of 
give a simple answer. I think, I hope that, you know, those of you listening can take away that you are enough as you are, that this is a practice, not a destination. And so wherever you are on your journey, you're where you're meant to be. You're doing the things that you need to do for yourself. And there's all, you always have the power to choose the next step, wherever that may be, wherever that may carry you, you know, in talking about like we have, you know, self-love, self-care, intuitive eating, all of these things give you the opportunity to honor yourself and choose your next steps. You are in control. You are the expert on you. So, you know, I hope that this conversation leaves you feeling empowered and inspired to invest in yourself, listen more, you know, consume the content that you want to consume to make you feel appreciated, valuable, worthy, welcomed, and all of those things. Mm, I love it. And how, how can people work with you and how can they connect with you? And do you have any freebies and tell us all the things? Yes. So I created a freebie that I shared with you. So I believe it will be maybe in the show notes. Absolutely will. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Um, And it is a 30 day journal prompt and affirmation guide. Um, Mm -hmm. And basically it's 30 days to self-acceptance. So it is focusing on that self-care that we were talking about, that self-love and just helping you sort of create the groundwork for getting curious and getting to know yourself from a non-judgmental um, nurturing standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 30 days of journal prompts with little affirmations attached to them that I hope will support you in your journey in getting started. Or if you're an established intuitive eater, you know, a great way to sort of check back in and see where you're at, see how far you've come. Um, So that will be in the show notes. And then other than that, on Instagram and Facebook, I am intuitively Alexandra and my website is intuitivelyalexandra.com. So come find me. I am, you know, open. I'm loving. I want everyone to feel welcome. Yeah. We're so similar with our energies and our vibe. Like I just really connect with you. It's, It's amazing. So thank you listeners for listening and please reach out to myself and Alexandra and we will be there for you because everyone is welcome. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Victoria. You're welcome. I hope this episode was everything you needed to hear today and more. If you love this podcast, then please screenshot this episode and share it to your Instagram or Facebook stories and tag me at Victoria Kleinsman so I can share you with my audience and we can get my podcast out to more women that need it. Also, I'd be super duper grateful if you could rate and review this podcast as it really does help others to find it. Thank you so, so much in advance and I'll see you on the next one.